This is Christian Knutson and Madeline Plattenberg with your local news, coming to you live from the WORT studios in beautiful downtown Madison. Here are tonight's headlines. The U.S. Department of Justice is appealing a federal ruling blocking a transmission line that would cross through a wildlife refuge in the Driftless region. According to Wisconsin Public Radio, the controversial transmission line faces multiple lawsuits as conservation groups... faces multiple lawsuits as conservation groups and local governments oppose the project. Opponents in this particular lawsuit argue that the consideration of alternatives was too narrow in scope, which violates federal environmental law. Supporters of the project claim that this transmission line would help connect the region with renewable power and lower carbon emissions. The project also comes with a big price tag as $277 million has already been spent and the Wisconsin Public Service Commission expects costs to grow by 10% more than originally planned. Wisconsin lawmakers are allowing new regulations surrounding PFAS, a type of plastic pollutant, to go into effect. The new regulations set forth by the Evers administration would monitor levels of the pollutants in surface and drinking waters. The measures passed the Republican-controlled Joint Committee for review of administrative rules without objection, according to the Wisconsin State Journal. PFAS have been found in multiple drinking wells in the Madison area. The Republican Party is launching a multi-city election integrity tour in Wisconsin in a lead-up to the August primaries. The events will feature conservative speakers and will serve as places to recruit volunteers and staff as poll workers and election observers, according to the Associated Press. Critics are labeling the events as opportunities to promote conspiracies about the outcome of the 2020 election in which Biden won Wisconsin. Republican lawmakers have proposed election reform laws in the intervening years, but they all have been vetoed by Governor Tony Evers. Dan County Executive Joe Parisi called for a referendum yesterday seeking additional funding for construction for a county jail. The unusual move comes after the county board failed to have the momentum to move forward the project, according to the Wisconsin State Journal. Including a referendum on the November ballot would require a majority board vote as opposed to a supermajority required to approve new funding. This move comes after a decade of discussion on rebuilding the Dane County Jail and after two years of plans getting approved to build the jail online for the price tag to jump up. Parisi says that the additional funds are necessary to move the project forward. Members of Madison School Board voiced interest in increasing teacher pay during public comment on Monday. The proposed 2022-2023 budget for MMSD included a 2% increase for cost of living and other increases based on years of experience and professional development, according to the Cap Times. Madison Teachers Inc. or MCI asked for a 4.7% base wage increase as well as increasing the salary schedule for hourly workers by $5. MTI and district officials negotiated during closed meetings, marking discussions about the budget and raises complex. The board will vote to adopt the preliminary budget on June 27th. And now on to today's top stories. Downed trees and thousands of homes left without power were among the results of a storm that tore through Madison yesterday. WORT producer Nate Wegehout has more about yesterday's wicked weather.
Yesterday's severe weather left over 17,000 people in the city of Madison without power and saw over 300 trees blown down, many blocking roads and sidewalks. One of the largest instances of damage yesterday happened on the city's east side when an apartment building near the Dane County Airport had part of its roof blown off during the storm. City officials say that the roof had been redone just a few years prior and had been inspected by the city at the time. The American Red Cross established a shelter for those currently displaced by yesterday's storm, though it was unused last night as all those displaced had somewhere to stay for the night. The Red Cross kept the shelter open today as a cooling station and will keep the shelter open tonight as well. That shelter sits on the Madison College campus at 1701 Wright Street. Speaking of lost power, over 17,500 people in the city of Madison lost power yesterday. MG&E says that restoring power is difficult due to the large number of down power lines and new outages that are occurring as weakened trees fall onto power lines. At the time of recording, around 5,400 people are still without power, according to MG&E. They say that they anticipate most of those without power to regain power this evening. The storm did not just take down power lines, as around 300 trees were reported to have fallen in the city of Madison yesterday. Brian Johnson with the city's street division says that there were nine calls for trees or large branches that fell on cars yesterday and 14 trees or large branches on homes. Additionally, there were 89 streets blocked by trees. Johnson says that he can't remember the last storm to hit Madison this hard. There were some issues on the east side of Madison and also on the west side. It wasn't just one little neighborhood. So it's been a while um, since we've seen this sort of bigger tree damage, like all throughout the city like this. I mean, that's also going to be why it's going to be hard for residents too, to, because it's been a while since this occurred, that it's been a while to kind of adjust our expectations for what cleanup looks like from this. Johnson says that the cleanup will focus on high priority areas first, such as trees on houses, and that people should either place brush on the curb or bring it to the drop-off site. The hours for drop-off sites will not change, so check the hours for the site before you leave. The storm did not just hit Madison as South Milwaukee saw flooding and golf ball-sized hail barraging the neighborhood. We Energies reported that nearly 43,000 people were without power in southeast Wisconsin last night. As the storms move past Wisconsin and continue to travel east, a massive heat wave is following right behind it. We'll have more on that with our weather in just a few minutes. As for yesterday's storm, the city says that cleanup will not be easy and that a complete cleanup from the storm is expected to take several days. Reporting for WORT News, I'm Nate Wookiehout. Many counties across Wisconsin will be experiencing another heat advisory tomorrow. With more about what you can do to keep yourself, your neighbors, and your pets safe, here is WORT weather producer Caitlin Davis. Madison broke a temperature record today reaching a high of 96 degrees and surpassing a previous record of 95 degrees from 1987. Today's heat wave also brought an intense heat index, reaching 107 degrees, which made it difficult to clean up after last night's storms. If you are still without power, the Red Cross has opened a temporary overnight shelter at Madison College. Dane County is also hosting a cooling center located at the Dane County Coliseum, which will be open tomorrow from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Madison Metro will provide free rides to and from either of the cooling centers. Pets and carriers are allowed on Madison Metro buses. Temperatures are currently sitting at right around 93 degrees, but the heat index is sitting at a toasty 100 degrees. 
The humidity makes the feeling much worse, even if it's only sitting at about 45%. South-southwest winds are blowing at 15 miles per hour currently. We are experiencing about a 1% cloud cover, so there's really absolutely no let up from the extraneous weather. The UV index reached 10 today, which is in the very high category. When your skin is exposed to an index this high, it is likely to damage your skin. Reapply sunscreen every hour or even more frequently. Typically, you should add a higher SPF protection to the face in relation to the rest of your body since the skin on the face is more fragile. In these conditions, some can burn in as little as 10 minutes. Minimize your sun exposure and wear sunglasses to protect your eyes as they can become damaged as well. Stay well hydrated and drink lots of electrolytes. Tomorrow is also looking to be under a heat advisory, so here are a few tips that can help you stay a bit cooler. Eating fruits and vegetables can help hydrate you along with drinking water and beverages with electrolytes. Carrying a personal fan or having access to cool air is a great way to cool off. Avoid turning on appliances that could add heat to the household, such as ovens and stoves, and instead treat yourself to dinner at a local restaurant with gray air conditioning. Wear light and loose clothing, and wear a hat to protect your scalp from burning. Don't wait until you're thirsty. Continue to keep yourself hydrated throughout the day, especially if you are sweating. Monitor conditions of those around you and limit stress. Your pets can also suffer under extreme temperatures. The Dane County Humane Society is warning pet parents that even healthy pets can suffer from dehydration and heat stroke in today's high heat and humidity. So limit their time outdoors and keep them in cool, shady areas. If you are out with your pet, bring a water and monitor their behavior. You can provide cooling mats and vests for pets. Protect their paws from hot surfaces and apply pet-safe sunscreen to them as well. Never leave your pets in the car and never leave them unattended in extreme heat. You can find more information on how to keep your pets safe at giveshelter.org. If you or someone you know is seeming to have a heat-related illness, seek medical attention right away. With conditions as such, you do not want to risk your health. Stay safe. Tonight will be very muggy with a chance of thunderstorms again overnight. The low will be around 76 degrees, but the heat index will still be sitting at right around 80 degrees. If the low stays at 76 degrees tonight, it will tie a previous Madison record set in 1994. Steady winds will be coming from south-southwest at 8 to 15 miles per hour. Wednesday will be partly sunny with hot, breezy, and humid weather. We could see a period of thunderstorms as well, mainly in the late day into the evening. These thunderstorms could produce high winds, hail, and heavy rainfall. If you know someone in the area, it may be a good idea to have a backup place to rest your head overnight as power outages could occur again. The high for tomorrow is 94, but the heat index could reach 105 degrees yet again. Thursday should be mostly sunny and warm with a high of 84 degrees, and Friday will continue with sunny conditions and a high of 80 degrees. With your WORT weather report, I'm producer Caitlin Davis.
It's now 6.18 p.m. and you're listening to the live local news on WORT. Tomorrow night, advocates for Dane County's unhoused folks will screen a new film documenting what it's like to be homeless. Titled Not Homeless Enough, this film follows four families as they struggle with homelessness here in the area. Earlier today, WORT producer Nate Weggehout spoke with Diane Nylon, president of the nonprofit Hear Us Inc. and creator of the film. Last night, the film Not Homeless Enough aired at the Downtown Madison Public Library. The film, created by Hear Us Inc. president and founder Diane Nylon, follows four Madison families who have experienced homelessness. Diane joins me on the other line right now. Diane, thank you so much for talking with me here. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, Nate. So just to sort of start things off, I'm going to get into the film in a second, but what can you tell me about Hear Us, Inc.? What is Hear Us, Inc.? Well, uh, in 2005, I decided to um, go on the road. I got rid of my townhouse and stuff and bought a little motor home, and I got a video camera, started my nonprofit organization, and traveled around to interview kids experiencing homelessness in different parts of the country. And uh, that was my first go-round and um, made a film called uh, My Own Four Walls. And that was extraordinarily successful, award-winning kind of film. And uh, it really did what I was hoping it would do, which is to give voice and visibility to uh, families and youth experiencing homelessness. So it's I'm a one-woman organization. I've actually lived on the road now for the past 17 years. I don't have a permanent home. And uh, I've traveled around to 49 states. I've made, I don't know, I'll say dozens. It's probably almost 100 films. Um, and have really been able to capture the stories like I did here in the Dane County area. Uh, that that really portray uh, family homelessness as, as we don't see it. And now sort of looking at the film now, uh, it's called Not Homeless Enough. Uh, why did you decide to call it Not Homeless Enough? What does that mean to not be homeless enough? Uh, it's a good question. Um, people don't realize that there is a um, a barrier for families who are who lose housing and don't have a way of getting another place to live. Um, if they are not staying in a HUD-funded shelter or living in um, real dire circumstances on the streets, they are not homeless enough to get help uh, from HUD. Not that there's a lot of help available, but they, they can't get help. So they're stuck. They're doubled up. They may be staying in motels, paying um, just an extraordinary amount of money to stay, to keep a roof over their family's uh, heads, but they're, they're not homeless enough to, um, to get housing assistance, which, um, and, and it's a huge percentage of families that are um, in this circumstance here in Dane County, as well as across the country. And basically, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the HUD regulations keep them from getting the help they need, keeps them from being counted. So Congress has no idea that we have literally millions of kids and their families out here in homeless situations, and they are not homeless enough to get help. 
And now I know that you made an entire film on this, which aired last night and, by the way, will be airing at the Sun Prairie Library on Wednesday from 6 to 7.30. But I want to sort of get just sort of briefly, what did you see here in Dane County? What did you find while making this film? Well, sadly, I saw what I see everywhere I go to do these films, and that's families that are um, just eking out an existence, barely, and um, are really on the edge of some catastrophic things happening. And actually, it tends to be the case that the catastrophe does hit them. They're, they're bouncing around. They, they're staying in um, extremely stressful situations, um, and, and nobody's able to help them. I mean, they're, the school districts are, are basically their only real source of help, and the schools can't provide housing. So, um, you know, these families are, are really trying to find a place where they can stay and feel safe and secure, and they have no way of doing that. And so, you, like you mentioned there, you're, you spoke with four different families here in the Dane County area. What did you learn from some of these unhoused folks here in Madison? And then sort of on that line, you mentioned that you go across the country to do this as well. Have, have you seen anything different here in Madison than what you've seen in, say, other communities across the country? Well, yeah, let me just say that here in uh, Dane County, there's been a group of people, uh, the Doubled Up uh, Housing Committee, and um, they've been the ones, they're the ones that I worked with to to line up the film uh, interviews. They are doing something that's not being done in the rest of the the country, and that is really trying to find ways around this um, HUD barrier. So, they're, they've created, um, they got funding, and there's a position now that um, it's somewhat limited, but at least it's a start where one person is trying to deal with the families that are in the doubled-up situations. Um, one of the interesting things about um, Dane County is uh, the families that are staying in motels, um, you know, first of all, it's extraordinarily expensive, just, you know, if they're able to do it week by week, um, that's, you know, that's amazing that they can put that much money together. We're talking, you know, four, five, six, seven hundred dollars a month or a week. Then if you have one of the many, um, events going on in the city that, um, the motels end up telling people, well, you know, we've got such and such going on next week. So you're going to have to either move or pay the, uh, the, um, the rate that we're, we're going to be charging everybody else, and, and that's boosted it up uh, considerably. So the families get relocated, not by choice, uh, when these events happen, and then they have to scramble and find a place to live. And, and that just is more of an upheaval than, um, than any of us would want to go through. So it's, um, you know, you've got a lot of motels around here, and I've been to a lot of them, and um, there's a lot of families that are um, trying to at least afford to, you know, stay in those motels because they have nowhere else to go. I've been talking with Diane Nylon, president and founder of the nonprofit Hear Us, Inc., and creator of the film Not Homeless Enough. You can watch the film for yourself this Wednesday at the Sun Prairie Library from 6 to 7.30. Diane, thank you so much for coming on here and talking with me today. Oh, great. Thanks, Nate. I appreciate the opportunity to talk and 
that we finally got together. The time is now 6.33, and you're listening to the local news on WORT. I'm your host, Madeline Plattenberg, here with my co-host, Christian Knudsen. Thanks for joining us. Local leaders and community members gathered in downtown Madison yesterday to raise the Juneteenth flag. This year marks the city's 33rd annual celebration of Juneteenth, which only became a federal holiday last year. The holiday commemorates the emancipation of enslaved Black Americans and celebrates African American culture. My name is Sheila Stubbs. I'm Wisconsin State Representative. I represent the 77th Assembly District here in Madison. I'm looking forward to just being a participant. I look forward to really going out and supporting black businesses, black restaurants, black entrepreneurs, and really making sure people realize what Juneteenth really is about in the historical legacy, but most important, to make sure people realize that it's just not a day. It is now a national holiday. So we've come a long way in our country, and it's time that everyone gets on board and celebrate with us and learn more about the history of the African-American descendants. I spoke to Annie Weatherby Flowers, the Community Engagement Coordinator for the Madison Public Library and the founder of the Kujichagulia Center for Self-Determination and its Juneteenth celebration. I think in terms of looking at all of the contributions of, of black people, I think that our, our day of freedom should be recognized. And so I have been instrumental in getting the flag raised and also being a part of, of, of this ceremony, putting the ceremony together. We truly have to meet that we're all in this together, so then our flag should be raised as well. My name is James Sutton. I'm here to support the raising of the Juneteenth flag and our culture and our people here in Madison, Wisconsin. Last year we were out of town and uh, this year I, I want to make it a point to make sure that we are here to support all events that they're throwing. Hey, support your locally owned black businesses, Judy's Carpet Cleaning, Smart Cleaning Solutions. Support us. I spoke to Michelle Bozeman, a senior member development manager at the Urban League of Greater Madison. I am here today because Annie asked me to come and be a part of this celebration. I am already a part of the 33rd annual Juneteenth celebration um, that we're having on June 18th, but today she wanted me to be here in solidarity with everyone else to help support the flag going up and of course to sing a hymn. So. Naming event. Every last one of them is great. We got the STEM um, on Tuesday. The Urban League of Greater Madison will be doing things around career planning. Um, we got Saturday, which is the main thing. So I'm actually doing the main stage, so everyone needs to know that. So we're going to have a lot of performances. We're going to have spoken words. We're going to have some dances. We're going to have some singers. I may get on the stage. I'm not quite sure yet, but I'm hoping that I can get a lot of other people to fill in those space. So other than the food, the vendors that's going to be out there, the basketball, I mean, everything is going to be great for me. So as I, I can't say just one thing, it's everything. 
I am a pastor Will Jackson of um, Exodus Covenant Christian Center. Um, we're located on the west side of Watts Road. Um, um, I am the youngest African-American pastor in Dane County. And so um, I have a heart for um, um, helping our young people to attain greatness, to keep them out of the criminal justice system. So oh, today um, I was the um, individual who gave the invocation. Um, I've been knowing um, um, Annie Weatherby for quite a while and um, she's kind of saw something in me in terms of uh, my youthfulness, uh, my approach to ministry, uh, where it's uh, generally, you know, um, we, for the lack of better words, there's no shaming. Um, we're open to all people and so I think that kind of brings a little flavor to the um, Juneteenth experience. Yesterday's event kicks off a week-long celebration of Juneteenth organized by the Kujichagulia Madison Center for Self-Determination. Most events will be online throughout the week. In-person festivities are planned for this weekend. The parade will march from the Fountain of Life Church to Penn Park on Saturday morning with festivities at the park throughout the day. Sunday, there will be a National Father's Day grill-off. Reporting for WORT News, I'm Madeline Plattenberg. Singer, songwriter, producer, and activist Madison Malone started performing in her uncle's bar in Portage when she was young and then performed in venues around Madison. She moved to Los Angeles in 2016, and since then her music has been featured on ABC's General Hospital, Netflix, 2020, CBS This Morning, and more. Since she last performed in Wisconsin, she has released an EP, got married to her wife Helen, and had a baby, and is now working on a full-length album. WORT producer Sarah Hopeful caught up with Malone to discuss being a musician during the pandemic, her new album, and an upcoming show at the Baroque on June 16th. Madison Malone. Yes. Last time we spoke was February 2020. Yes, it was. A lot has happened since February 2020. A lot has happened. The whole world has changed. whole world has changed. Your whole life has changed. Yes. You got married. Yep. You had a baby. Yep. You released your EP. Yep. One and two. Yep. And now you have a, a new album coming out. So back up. Leading up to this baby, you yes. had done live streams. Yes, a lullaby okay. every day. Right. Let's let's even go back to March 2020. Get off the tour, and we come home and we're like, "What are we gonna do?" Besides talking about growing our family, I was like, musically, what's gonna happen? Because I'm used to touring and used to recording an album and all of that. I thought, I know what I can do. I can live stream every single night something to calm us down before we sleep. Thank you for joining another Living Room Lullabies live stream. Today I'm doing another request from Deanna Prisco in New York. It is Baby Mine from Dumbo. So for 245 nights I sang a cover, made it like a lullaby-esque version of contemporary song, throwback song, anything. Baby mine, don't you cry Baby mine, dry your eyes And um, really created this community online and it's been amazing and part of what I'm excited for this show in Madison at the Burr Oak on Thursday, June 16th is that there are people who 
I met through the live streams that are coming to this show and I'm calling mm. people who are watching the live streams my lullaby love bugs mm. and so that's there's this whole other world of people that I didn't meet on the road I didn't meet through somebody else I met them online through these live streams that I did every night in 2020 It was so relaxing, so oh. calming in this time of severe uncertainty. Yes. You know, when everyone was truly locked down. Yep. And everything tuning in and be like, okay, I can I can forget all of that for, yep. for twenty minutes. Oh, I'm glad you felt that way because it's I had the same feeling just like seeing people talking back to me because really it was just me and my wife and then my sister for a couple months we were all in one house not really doing anything and then but to have this response of people commenting back being like yeah I'm afraid too or yeah I'm doing this and yeah I you know how are we going to pay rent next month and all of us talking about these same fears and what are we going to do moments together was so special like besides the music it was just that friendship with people back home or new friends or strangers or whoever that was really special so now we moved from one and two ep mm -hmm. which had the double album the the stripped down version and the produced version after that when did you decide okay now it's time for a full album yeah what's the direction of it yeah so did the live streams and as I'm doing the live streams I had kind of put out there to the love bugs I was like hey should I record some of these lullabies and have a little cover album or have some cover singles out and everybody was like yes do it so then that really pushed me to be like okay I need to record some of this music and before I was able to produce as a tool. It was like something that I could press the button and whatever and go. So I used this time to also sharpen my tools and become a better producer. And so during 2020, I really got into producing these lullabies so that I could put some out so that people could listen to these songs, not just at nine o'clock Pacific time whenever I'm live streaming, but forever. You could just keep listening online. So I really started getting into okay, what do I want this song to sound like? How am I going to make it sound that way? And I think starting with covers was a really, really great way to experiment and get better at producing because I was able to focus on a few things rather than a song of mine. It was another song. The pressure was off about songwriting. It's just, you know these cover songs and as I was going through that then I was like wait I'm actually getting pretty good at this maybe I can record my own album because also reminding you as we all know you know the studios are shut down my mm -hmm. buddies weren't producing either and it's like yeah you can't come over and sing here or you know how are we going to record it's not it's not going to really be possible so it's like all right yeah I gotta do this myself and so through producing these lullabies and putting them out I then gained the confidence and the knowledge of how to produce my own songs. So now I've been working on that really since right before Bravo was born. I've been like, okay, laying down the piano and putting ideas down and all of that. And that's been the main thing I'm working on right now is my album. And this, the storyline really is I just want to be as honest about what my life looks like at this moment. I do have some songs in the that have been in the vault that I wasn't able to record pre-pandemic 
So there are songs that people know from like 2020 that haven't come out yet that I'm also recording. So that's been fun. But I'm collaborating with a couple friends. One of my friends is, plays every single stringed instrument. And so I've sent some songs off to him and he lives in Vegas. And he so he's like just putting some stuff on things. And then my other friend lives in the mountains and I'm sending him some things and he's just putting it on. And then my other friend is by the ocean and she's putting cello on it. So it's really amazing what technology can do too because I'm working on it in my living room. And then sending these songs off to people and they're like adding textures on top and it's really becoming this full beautiful project that has taken on a bigger world than just my living room you know and we'll get a taste of this june 16th june 16th yes june sneak preview Mm -hmm. of the album yes exactly i will be playing these songs some songs have never been heard Like I said, some songs are kind of in the vault. You may have heard them once or twice, but they've never been recorded. But I am recording them now. So on June 16th, I'm kind of calling it this first look behind the scenes show, very intimate evening of just me and my piano singing these songs stripped down. Brand new songs. They're not out. And some classic favorites as well. But doors are at 7. Show starts at 8. It's going to be really fun. It's a seated show. The The chairs are going to be all set up so you can sit down and relax. It's a li- listening room feel. So, yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm going to have some merch. I want pictures taken with buddies and, you know, it's like a reunion show. Well, Madison Malone, thank you so much. We're excited for your homecoming. <laughs> oh, thanks for having me, Sarah. I really appreciate it and love being here and it feels good to be home. This is the Earlier this month, Strictly Jazz hosts Jane Reynolds and Steve Bronjan bid their farewells after over 17 years on the air. To say goodbye and to celebrate the good times, they held a star-studded party at Cafe Coda last Thursday. WORT producer David Aaron spoke with attendees at the party to learn more about what the jazz hosts mean to Madison. Last week, 100 jazz lovers gathered at the Cafe Coda to say thanks to WRT's long-term jazz hosts, Jane Reynolds and Steve Bronkin. Jane and Steve have hosted Thursday's Strictly Jazz Sounds for 17 years. Before they joined Forcers, Jane had her own program for 20 years. Jane and Steve's show was Strictly Jazz. Together they logged 60 years of airtime on our listener-supported radio. For folks just dialing around, they converted accidental listeners into becoming regulars and regulars into jazz fans. Listeners know that Jane and Steve have an encyclopedic knowledge of jazz, but what really came across was their evident love for the music. In addition to the many listeners and friends was a strong line of airy musicians who wanted to say thanks to Steve and Jane. Here's multi-instrumentalist Hannah John Taylor. Um, but it's just such a pleasure, really an honor, to uh, be a part of this celebration. 
to these wonderful people who have contributed so much to this jazz community. I just want to thank you on behalf of uh, all the musicians in this community, Jane and Steve, for everything that you've done to keep the music real and keep the music alive. Other musicians performing last night were Johannes Wallman, Darren Stierard, Lori Lang, Rick Flowers, Russ Johnson, and Vincent Davis. The evening also featured Jane Reynolds soloing a piece by her favorite composer, Mary Lou Williams. Also celebrated as much for their work outside of the studio as inside of it. Here's Howard Landsman, a leader of the Madison Jazz Consortium. They don't often get thanked publicly, uh, and I think you know, in terms of what not just what they've done um, for the jazz community through their radio program for all these years, but. Uh, but Jane is, has helped raise a whole generation of jazz pianists. Uh, she helped um, sort of raise up the profile of Mary Lou Williams in during she she and Fabu co-chaired the uh, were the co-artistic directors of the Mary Lou Williams Centennial. Steve has been a leader in so many areas, notably the director of the Urban League. He was a county board supervisor classroom teacher, and community organizer at large. A member of the audience, Teresa Cuchilla, will be one of the new hosts of the Thursday at 2 Jazz Show. She'll alternate with Matt Marcus.
Just an honor to take, try to take the, sh the reins from Steve and Jane. I study with Jane as well um, on the jazz piano. Uh, Jane is just such a gift and a treasure uh, for us here in the city. I play jazz piano, um, and again, you know, just so glad to hear Jane perform today and hope to hear her more because she's an amazing, amazing artist, and I just have such admiration for her as a musician. Um, and just, you know, the beautiful jazz that she's given to our city. Um, for 35 years. Jane will continue to perform in Madison, and Steve and his wife will be moving to Columbus, Ohio, where he will do jazz podcasts. I have loved doing this with you. Same here. And I'm sticking around, um, hoping to do some more playing. Oh, and you should. Oh, and I want to. I will. Last night was so wonderful, Jane. It was a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun, but, you know, we're all going to miss you. And it's going to... It's going to be an adventure. One last time, Steve. We're signing off for Strictly Jazz Films. Here on WORT 89.9 FM, Madison. Solar eclipses have been observed by humans for thousands of years. And after all this time, can we still learn anything from this recurring phenomenon? On this week's Radio Astronomy, its hosts share how there is still much to learn from and about solar eclipses. Eclipses are among the most accessible astronomical events to witness with no need for telescopes, fancy cameras, or other technology. They occur relatively frequently and happen all around the globe, so it's no big deal if you miss one, because there will surely be another soon. Welcome to Radio Astronomy. I'm your host for this week, Teddy. Today, eclipses typically aren't seen as particularly remarkable events. We understand the mechanics behind them very well, and they're no longer harbingers of misfortune. However, just because they aren't mysterious doesn't make them uninteresting. Far from it. They're still useful tools for learning, from an introduction to the field of astronomy to detecting new worlds around distant stars. Let's start by first examining what's happening during an eclipse. For this, let's construct a toy model of the Sun, Earth, and Moon, scaling the solar system down. In this model, the Sun is about the size of a basketball. You'd have to walk almost three meters to get to the Earth's orbit, and the Earth itself would be a little smaller than a poppy seed. Orbiting at a distance of just over half a centimeter would be the Moon, which would be about the size of a grain of pollen. With the Earth taking a year to go around the Sun, and the Moon taking about a month to orbit the Earth, we end up with points where three bodies are all lined up when seen from a bird's eye view. But we don't just have solar and lunar eclipses, we also have full moons and new moons. That happens because the orbits are a little bit tilted, so the tilts of both orbits have to line up perfectly in order for the sun or moon to not be a bit too high or too low to block out the other. In the cases when it misses, we get the full and new lunar phases, and when it hits, we get an eclipse. This perfect alignment, called syzygy, one of the best words in astronomy, typically occurs a couple of times per year. And it is always the case that the same moon cycle has one of each eclipse type. 
That is, if there's a solar eclipse on a given new moon, it means that there must have been a lunar eclipse on the most recent or upcoming full moon, and vice versa. The reason you don't tend to hear about them in pairs is because they're typically in different locations, and one often occurs over unpopulated areas, for example, the ocean. Taking a step back, you might think that it's odd that, hey, how can the moon block out the sun? Is it really just some bizarre cosmic coincidence that they both look the same in the sky? Yeah, yes it is. Earth's moon is very uncharacteristic for a terrestrial planet, although that's something to cover in another week. However, we just so happen to be at the perfect distance from it and the sun to see them as roughly the same size. Our moon is weird. This understanding of the mechanics of eclipses goes back to at least the 5th century AD, when the early Indian mathematician Aryabhata created the first surviving text describing an eclipse as the product of the alignment of the moon, sun, and earth. His book, the Aryabhatiya, used spherical trigonometry to predict the date and length of eclipses. Common understanding of eclipses was still a question of astrology and not astronomy, but the invention of the printing press allowed for the wide dissemination of eclipse science. The Western world would then become best acquainted with the early 1600s astronomer Johannes Kepler's account of orbital mechanics. While solar and lunar eclipses are now very well understood thanks to these historical astronomers, some modern-day astronomers still make use of eclipses of a sort in their research. In particular, finding exoplanets utilizes a technique where we look at a star and monitor its brightness, and then when that brightness goes down for a short time, and this occurs at regular intervals, we can infer that there's something passing in front of the star that's blocking a small portion of its light. This isn't as visually remarkable as a solar eclipse in our solar system, since the planet is usually way too distant to discern, but examining the spectrum of the starlight during this transit period can help astronomers understand what the transiting planet's atmosphere could be made of, in turn helping us search for potentially habitable planets and life elsewhere in the universe. Ultimately, here's what I'd like you to take away from this. First, eclipses are common, and second, they're still really cool and useful teaching and learning events, both for lay people and astronomers alike, no matter what popular science communicators post on Twitter. Thanks so much, and have a stellar week. And that does it for our show. Thanks for listening to WORT's live local news at 6. You're a reporter tonight, and my co-host is Madeline Plattenberg. Your headline writer this evening was Sophie Hilihi. Fair Farewell, Sophie, and good luck in your new adventures. Your weather producer was Caitlin Davis. Special thanks to feature contributors David Ahrens, Sarah Hopeful, and the Radio Astronomy crew. Dave Lawrenson engineered the show. Nate Wagehout produced this newscast. And Sholly Pittman is a news director at WORT. I'm your host, Madeline Plattenberg. Stay up to date with the WORT local news podcast. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And I'm your host, Christian Knutson. Up next is Spanish language news with the Nuestro Patio. Good night.